Scripture reading is from Daniel chapter 6, verses 19 through 28. It can be found on page 744 in the Black Bibles. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in God. And the king commanded, and those men who had been had maliciously accused Daniel, were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. Before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Amy and JB. And... Katie, Beth, and Daniel before that, uh, beautiful and worshipful. Let's pray and ask God to help us now as we consider this passage from his word. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for all of the ways that you teach us in your word. We pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to hear and to receive uh, your work uh, through this time this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Where's God when I'm scared? That's the title of my very favorite episode of the Veggie Tales uh, from all time. It's old. It's actually from 1993. I couldn't believe it's that old. And if you're too young to know what the Veggie Tales cartoons are, don't fear. I just read an article this week, they're coming back. Um, they're making new ones. So that's exciting. But my favorite one is, is this episode called, Where's God When I'm Scared? Now, the episode begins with Junior Asparagus, who is um, an asparagus, but he's young, a young asparagus. He's a boy. He is uh, going to bed at night. His mom and dad turn off the light. And as soon as he turns off the light in his house, he starts to hear things in his closet or under his bed. He starts to think that he's seeing you know, eyes and heads and things like that poking out. And he's in bed at night and it's dark and he's really scared. And then into his room appear, and this part's weird, but this is what happens, uh, Bob the Tomato and Larry the Cucumber appear in his room and they tell him that, hey, Junior Asparagus, when you're scared like that, you, you need to know that God is with you. And if, you'll, if you will pray and you will call out to him, he will, he will come and he will make everything okay. And that leads into the first of the great songs of this episode of Tales, 
which is God is bigger than the boogeyman, which is a really good song. Uh, I'm not going to sing it, although I do want to. Um, but then they go on, and to prove this point from the Bible, uh, VeggieTales takes us to the story of Daniel. In fact, it takes us to this very story from Daniel where the satraps and the presidents who are jealous of Daniel because he's getting ready to ascend to a powerful and prominent position uh, and they're jealous of him they conspire to throw him into the lion's den and this conspiracy leads to the second great song of this episode of Veggie Tales, which is this oh no what we gonna do which goes oh no what we gonna do the king likes Daniel more than me and you and then it has a great, this has one of the greatest lines of musical history in it. And it goes like this. We could put him on a camel's back and send him off to Ur with a cowboy hat without a brim, a boot without a spur. Which I actually think is very clever. The point, though, is that although the leaders conspired against Daniel and they did throw Daniel into the lion's den, and when Daniel went into the lion's den, he was scared. Daniel prayed. And he trusted God, and God helped him. God protected him, and the point was that God is bigger than the boogeyman and the lions. Now, some of you this morning probably learned this story in exactly this way. In fact, I would, I, I would be confident to say in a room of this many people, some of you are probably skeptical of Christianity because you learned this story in this way. Some of you may have rejected Christianity because you learned the story this way. Why is that? Because the experience of your life has been exactly different from that. You have tried what Daniel did and it didn't work, right? Now, if the point of this story being in the Bible is this, that if Daniel is there to teach you that if you are scared or you're in danger, and if you have enough faith in God, and if you pray and trust in God, then God will intervene and cause nothing bad to happen to you, well, there's simply way too much evidence in all of the history of Christianity and probably in your own life, that this isn't true. It doesn't work like this. Just ask people. Ask Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was executed by the Nazis in Germany, even though he prayed every single day. Ask Martin Luther King Jr., who was gunned down outside the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, even though he prayed to God constantly. Ask Believers in Jesus right now in places like China and North Korea who are in jail praying. Ask Christians in Rome in the 2nd and 3rd centuries who went to the Colosseum and were eaten by lions. You can ask Jesus himself. So Daniel 6 can't be in the Bible. It can't. It can't be in the Bible to teach you a moralistic lesson that if you're just like Daniel and you trust God, and you pray, then nothing bad will ever happen to you. Nothing bad will happen to you. It'll all be okay. It can't be that. So why is it here? What's the message? 
Well, this story is in the Bible not to teach us about Daniel, ultimately. This story is in the Bible to teach us about God, particularly this. Salvation belongs to God. Salvation belongs to God. God saves you from something. He saves you through something or someone. And he saves you to something. So first, God saves you from. What is our biggest problem? It's a a big question, or you could even broaden it a little bit. What's humanity's biggest problem? Is it corrupt and authoritarian government? Is it technology that is disconnecting human beings from one another? Is it global warming and rising sea levels? Is it horrific injustices and evil that is perpetuated and perpetrated against other human beings? Well, the Bible tells us that humanity's biggest problem is actually something else. Humanity's biggest problem is that we have all rebelled against God. We have all gone our own ways. Now, our rebellion against God ultimately results in some of those things that I mentioned before, but those are the effect of our biggest problem, not our cause. The cause of our biggest problem is what the Bible calls sin. As the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But let's take it one step further. Because you might say, well, okay, assuming that there is a God and maybe there's a thing called sin, what's really the big deal? Well, the big deal is the result of sin. The Apostle Paul, who said that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, goes on in Romans chapter 6 to remind us that the wages of sin is death. Physical death is a result of the rebellion of our first parents, uh, Adam and Eve, against God. It is the announcement of the judgment of God upon sin. So truthfully, at a core, at a root level, your biggest problem, my biggest problem, humanity's biggest problem is the judgment of God that is due to our sin. Now what is this have to do with Daniel and the story about the lion's den. Well, the truth is that this whole story is about God's judgment. One is judged and found innocent, and others are judged and found guilty. Even the name Daniel points to this. The name Daniel means literally, God is my judge. So this story is about God's judgment with the lions there as both symbolic elements of God's ultimate judgment for sin but also rather graphically in its immediate context his immediate judgment for sin let me explain this just uh, a, a little bit lions appear in the bible particularly in the old testament but also in revelation that's why we use revelation 5 as our call to worship this morning but lions appear very often in the old testament as symbols for god's judgment upon the world for sin joel 3:16 says this the lord roars from zion and he utters his voice from jerusalem and the heavens and the earth quake there is a similar almost identical passage to that in amos chapter 1 and then in the famous passage from isaiah chapter 11 that we read here pretty much every year on christmas eve it talks about reversing that judgment a redeemer reversing that judgment saying that the lion will lay down with the lamb it's a picture of 
creation being restored uh, and the new heavens and the new earth and God's judgment being removed and the curse of God uh, over sin being no more. So when Daniel is cast into the den of lions by Darius, it is meant to be his judgment. He is guilty of breaking the king's law of praying to the God of Israel. But when he emerges, Darius realizes that he is not ultimately the judge over Daniel. That God is the judge over Daniel. And he has been saved from death from the lions. But all of this points to your need, my need, our greatest need is to be saved from the eternal judgment of God due to our sin. God saves you from. But that's not all. How does this happen? What's the mechanism for this? Well, it happens outside of you, not from within you. Daniel 6 teaches us that you are saved through something or someone, and particularly you are saved through the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And you might say, wait, wait a minute, we're in, we're in the Old Testament, we're in Daniel. Jesus doesn't make an appearance in the Bible until the book of Matthew. What, what are you talking about? Well, the truth is that Jesus does make a direct appearance in the book of Daniel at least two times. The first time is in chapter 3. Andres preached about this just a few weeks ago. In Daniel chapter 3... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace for disobeying Nebuchadnezzar. And then the text tells us that when people looked into the fiery furnace, they didn't see only three people there. They saw four. And one had an appearance, the text says, like a son of man. Now here in verse 22, Daniel says, God sent his angel who shut the lion's mouths. So Daniel was not alone in the lion's den. The angel of the Lord was with him. Now I believe that it is right to understand both the presence of the fourth person in the fiery furnace in Daniel chapter 3 and the angel of the Lord with Daniel in the lion's den as a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus present with his people. This happens from time to time in the Old Testament. Some people uh, that I respect disagree with that, but all agree that at the very least, these angels who come to rescue their people are, are, are pointing to Jesus. How? Well, first is through his presence. Think about this for just a second. And this never really struck me until, until this week, but, but think about this. Was it really necessary for the Lord to send an angel, or Jesus himself, to enter into the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and stand in there with him to save them? Couldn't he have done this another way? Couldn't he have just blown it out or sent a big rainstorm or sent water that would just extinguish the flames and accomplish the same thing. Even here, wouldn't you say that God is strong enough from a distance to shut the mouths of the lions so that they wouldn't hurt Daniel when he was thrown into the lion's den? Why did the angel of the Lord have to come and be with him? 
It's because this is pointing to the work of Jesus and what he does for you and me. Jesus saves you through his presence. He doesn't remain aloof from us. He left all of the comforts of heaven. He came down to the earth. He dwelt with us. He took on human flesh. He became like us, Hebrews says, in every way, yet without sin. But it's not only the presence of Jesus that saves. It's not only that he came down. It is also his power. You know, it's easy to read this story and think in your mind's eye of a strapping and brave young Daniel being kind of thrown into the lion's den and kind of wrestling with those lions. But you know what? That's not what happened. Because one thing we know from the historical markers of this text is that Daniel was old. By the time this event happened, Daniel was probably well over 80 years old. We know that because the text tells us, Daniel tells us in chapter 1, that he and his friends were kidnapped and exiled from Jerusalem and brought to Babylon when they were young teenagers. And now this event happens almost at the tail end of when the 70-year prophecy of the people being uh, enslaved in Babylon was set to come to an end. So let's say that Daniel and his friends were taken when they were 13 years old. By the time Darius comes to reign, about 70 years later, Daniel's 83 years old. You know, So he's somewhere between 80 and 88 years old. He's not thrown into the den of lions and all of a sudden beats them all up. Something has to happen outside of him to save him. And that power is the present angel of the Lord who shut the mouths of the lions so that they did him no harm. And you see, there's another time that almost exactly the same thing happened. There is another one that appears in the Bible who was sentenced to death by a leader who didn't really want to put him to death. There's another one whose death sentence was reluctantly carried out even though he knew he was innocent simply because he chose to save face rather than to act justly. There's another one who was thrown into a pit that was covered with a stone that was sealed with a seal so that no one would tamper with it. And there's another who broke free from those bonds. This is Jesus himself. The difference is that Jesus defeated the power of death through his own power, his own resurrection from the dead. And Daniel escaped the clutches of the lions from the presence of Jesus who was with him. He did nothing. God did everything. I read a story the other day about a couple of teenage boys who were at a picnic in a park in San Francisco that was right on the San Francisco Bay. And they were right there near the water and they were throwing a football to each other when the, the football fell into the bay and it began to float away. They saw a rowboat that was tethered right where they were and they thought they were going to jump in this rowboat and go out there and get the football, bring it back and continue playing. But one of the things that they weren't paying attention to, either didn't notice or just weren't kind of focused on, was that whoever owned this rowboat had rigged a beach umbrella to it and it was open. So as soon as these boys untethered this rowboat, the wind hit it and just took off. And it was taking them off into the middle of San Francisco Bay. And these two boys, they, they, they couldn't think straight. They were panicking and they were trying to row back you know, to shore. 
But the wind was too strong, so what ended up happening is they were rowing around in circles, but the wind was taking them into the middle of San Francisco Bay. There was a man who was on that shore. He was at a grill. He was grilling bratwurst. His name was Nick Tumilowitz. And he heard their screams, and he looked up from his grill, and he saw this rowboat being taken out into the middle of the bay. And Nick Tumilowitz had been a, a lifeguard before, so he knew a couple of things. One... He knew that if they got to the middle or closer to the middle of the bay where the sea, where it was choppier and rougher, then it would, they would very likely be overturned. But he also knew that at that time of year, the temperature of the bay was somewhere around 55 degrees. And if they were overturned, they would either drown or in not too long of a time, they would start to suffer from hypothermia. So Tomilowitz knew that he needed to act. He needed to do something. He looked around to see if there was another boat. There was not another boat. So he just flew into action. He stripped off his outer layers of clothes. He jumped into the bay and he began swimming after this rowboat. Every once in a while he would stop and tread water and look up to make sure he was still on track and he would keep swimming. It was about a half a mile that this boat had already taken off. And finally when he got close enough where he, they could, he could scream and they could hear him, he was yelling at them to take down the umbrella that was taking them out to sea. And, and they looked around, they understood, so they fumbled with it, they untethered the umbrella, they threw it overboard, and that slowed down the rowboat enough for Tomilowitz ultimately to catch them. So he got there, he climbed aboard, he looked at the boys. Guys, how you doing? Let's get this boat back to shore. But just then, what he feared might happen actually happened. The boat was broadsided by a wave. It was overturned. It dumped all three of them into the bay a half a mile from shore. These boys were panicking. He knew they weren't strong enough. They had been rowing to swim back. And so he had to act again. And so what he did was and uh, there was a life jacket that came along with them when the boat was turned over. And he had these two boys hook one arm in one armhole and the other boy hook an arm in the other armhole. And Tomilowitz grabbed the strap of that life jacket and began to side stroke his way back with these two boys holding a life vest, one life vest, all the way back to shore. It took them over 30 minutes to get back. But they made it back. The boys were safe and sound. Tomilowitz was exhausted and hypothermic, but otherwise, okay. But what, what had to happen, you see, for these two boys' lives to be saved was both presence and power. Tomilowitz could not have just stood at the shore and said, just row harder, right? Just be better. Just do better and you'll make it back. No, he had to go out to them. He had to go to them and then he had to use his strength where they had none to bring them back. This is what Jesus did for you. Except that he saved you from something much more dire and much more powerful than being swept out to sea in a rowboat. He saved you from the judgment of God for your sin. And to do that, Mere exhaustion and hypothermia weren't enough. It cost him his life. Jesus had to die. You were saved through the presence and the power of Jesus. So you were saved from, you were saved through, and you were saved to. Notice how this passage ends. It ends with Darius making almost the same proclamation 
that Nebuchadnezzar had made earlier in Daniel after witnessing the power of God. So what you see here is another pagan ruler, another leader who did not believe that the God of Israel was as strong as Daniel said he was, making testimony publicly to the world of the strength and the power of God. Now, in this way, what you see is Daniel in emerging from the lion's den, unscathed, and testifying that he did not save himself, but God himself saved him, and he had nothing to do with it. Daniel was bearing witness to the power of God. He was, ultimately, because this was testimony to Darius, who then stated it to the world, or the known world at that time, that Daniel was being a light to the world. So to you, what about you? Have you been rescued by God? Have you been rescued by God? Do you have a story of rescue in your own life? Where maybe there was a time in your life where you were wandering, you were searching, you were looking for something to be true, something that you could grasp hold of. That, 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 that maybe you were moving from one experience to another, one encounter to another, one substance to another, just trying to find something that you could hang your hat on or at least to find something that would numb the pain that you feel for, for more than a few minutes. Maybe your story is less dramatic but still as powerful. Maybe God rescued you from a sea of doubt to trust or for, from a spiritual restlessness to resting in peace in Christ. Did you find that rescue in Jesus, the embodiment of the presence and the power of God who willingly, willingly went to his own death that you might have life? So do you delight to tell that story? Do you delight to tell the story of how you were cast into the den of lions but you emerged unscathed not because you were good enough or strong enough or powerful enough but that God sent his own son. That while you were yet a sinner Christ died for you. And now here you are living a life unafraid of all of the trials and all of the struggles and all the tribulations of this life that will come to you because Jesus promises that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Maybe for some of you that story has lost its impact in your life because it's kind of an old story to you perhaps. Maybe there was a time when you gave God all glory for your life and salvation, but now you tend to think that you make things happen for yourself. That your hard work provides the resources that you have. That your wisdom brings up your children. That your intelligence takes you to the places that you want to go. That your beauty or your ability to do certain things athletically with your body opens doors for you and provides opportunities for you. But it is not so. If there's one thing we must be reminded from, from Daniel 6, it is that God alone saves he saves from through and to so we give him all 
glory for his salvation. You see, the hard truth, the hard truth is that God's judgment upon sin is real. The Bible testifies to it from beginning to end. I'm not saying anything that the Bible doesn't say. God's judgment for sin is real and it's coming. The ones who plotted evil against Daniel, they experienced the full wrath of the roaring lions at the bottom of that pit. God roared from Zion and he crushed them because they ultimately rejected him. So here's what the Bible tells all of us today. You will either be judged for your sins or one will be judged for your sins. You will either be judged for your sins or one will be judged for you for your sins. That one is the Lion of Judah who is also the Lamb who was slain. Do you see? It takes a lion. It takes a lion to defeat lions. It takes the Lion of Judah to defeat the wrath of God. And the Lion of Judah came dressed as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And if you trust in Him and you embrace that salvation and you embrace what Jesus did for you on the cross, God Himself takes your sins. He throws them as far away as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. So in Christ, you are saved from the judgment of God do your sins. You are saved through the presence and the power of Jesus Christ and you are saved to bear witness to the glory of the salvation of God to the world. So to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for not remaining apart from us but for coming to us and for saving us. We rejoice in that. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would rejoice in that all of the days of our lives. We ask it in your most precious name. Amen.